Hey, you can be seated on your way down. Find someone next to you. Tell them that you are glad that they are here. While you're telling them, I want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us online, regardless of what day of the week, regardless of what platform you're joining. So thankful that you're with us. Hey, if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn or click to Revelation chapter 12. And just be patient, we'll be there. We're actually gonna read a lot of scripture together this morning. We'll end up in 2 Chronicles 20, which is one of the passages that underlines the biblical foundations for what we just sang right there, that the battle belongs to the Lord. When we worship him, when we look to him, when we trust in him, he fights battles on our behalf. I'm gonna prove it to you today through God's word, amen? Hey, uh, while you're turning or clicking there, I wanna take a moment and just uh, underline underscore something that you might have saw for the first time in the video news today or might have received an email. Hopefully you received an email from us, if you, especially if you serve or give here at Rev City Church. And that's the Kingdom Builders Banquet that's coming up here pretty quick on Saturday evening, October 2nd, 6 p.m. We're gonna have it at the Jayhawk Club. And here's the heart behind that is we, as elders, just began to sense the Lord call us to build this into our culture, to appreciate, to honor the ones who serve and give to help people encounter and experience Jesus here through the ministry of Rev City Church. So listen, if you serve or give in any capacity or if you are willing to begin to step into serving and giving in any capacity, would you come on Saturday evening, October 2nd, and let us appreciate as a church your role, your part, whether it's parking cars or opening doors or making coffee or praying for people at the front or ministering to the children back here, whatever it is, serving on the gatekeeper's team that helps provide and ensure a safe, secure, prepared, atmosphere, media teams, whatever it is, if you currently serve or give financially to this ministry, or if you are willing to begin stepping into that, would you come and would you just sense the, the love and, and, and pleasure of the Father over you? And would you allow us, allow me as your pastor, allow us as a staff to just appreciate you? It's gonna be an amazing night. It's in a great venue. We're gonna feed you a steak, or I think there's three different choices. There's a vegetarian option, a chicken option, a steak option. I'm not sure why you'd pick anything other than steak. <laughs> but here's the deal. We need you to RSVP ASAP. <laughs> yeah, that just happened right there. That's, that's a lot of acronyms going on right there. We need you to RSVP ASAP because we have to turn in our number for the meal this week. And so would you text Rev City to 94,000? Or you can go to RevCity.com, you can sign up there. And, and again, it's free of charge. It's, it's, it's us as a church just expressing our appreciation for all the ways that you guys make a difference. Hey, if you, I wanna also just highlight last week, if you missed it, was Serve Team Sunday. I preached a message about the power and the importance of serving, not just in the church, this is where it begins. But God has called us to be servants to our spouse, to our children, to our homes, to our workplaces, to our community. I made this statement. I said that the church would do better to stop recruiting volunteers and begin developing servants. And I made this statement as well, that the church that fails to preach on and encourage and challenge people to servanthood will really fail to make disciples because you can't follow Christ if you're not giving your life away. Amen. And we've allowed for there to become kind of a consumer mentality in the church. Well, people come to church for what they can get out of it. And I'm glad that you will receive something. Hopefully you are. I mean, I'm blessed. I'm encouraged. I receive when we get together. But I wanna encourage you that if, if that's all you ever do, you're missing the opportunity to receive even more because the Lord said, the one who tries to keep and preserve his life actually loses it. The one who gives away his life, lays it down, actually discovers it and finds it. And so I wanna thank all of you who last week on Serve Team Sunday went and expressed an interest in serving in one of the many teams. I think there's eight or nine different teams represented out there that you can serve in. I just promise you, whether you're a new believer in the Lord or you've been serving him for many years, there's a place for you to make a difference. 
And I'm telling you, whatever it is that you do, you have a part at the end of this service when people in this room and online give their lives to Jesus and come home to their father and receive the forgiveness and the newness of life that Jesus has to offer. I'm telling you, every person who showed up and and set up and prepared and prayed and and ministered to the children and did all the things has a part in that moment. I'm just telling you, it's true. And so today, actually, it's, it's not Serve Team Sunday, but what we realized is that On any given Sunday, only about 50% of the church is actually here in person. So there's a table out in the the lobby right through that exit, right along the fellowship hall right there. And if you're not currently involved in helping us to do ministry, in helping us to preach the gospel and introduce people to Jesus, I want to encourage you. Would you stop by that table and just look for the team that God maybe highlights in your heart? And if it turns out that that's not the right place for you, we'll help you find the right place. But discover the joy of serving and the eternal significance that you make when you give your, something away from your life so that other people can discover life in Christ. Amen? And by the way, I'm almost done with this. My, my, this is unapologetic sales pitch for servanthood and trying to get you to that Kingdom Builders banquet. Get, there's not going to be an offering taken. There's not going to be any fundraising, just a meal of fellowship and and friends and just an atmosphere of appreciation for everyone that serves and gives. Pastor Richard Hinojosa, who's going to be here that weekend, that's a little bit of the reason why we scheduled it so quickly so that Pastor Richard could be the keynote speaker on Saturday evening at the banquet. So there'll be some special extra time with him. So I wanna encourage all who serve and give, go RSVP. If you're willing to engage, go sign up on the serve team list out there and go ahead and RSVP in advance for the Kingdom Builders Banquet. We wanna appreciate you in advance, amen? Amen, sound good? Come on, who's, who's, who's gonna be there? Let me see your hands, who's gonna be there? All right, hey, let's pray over our word today. And dig into God's word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your presence, in your house, as your people, to dig into your promises, Lord, which are found in your word. We open our hearts. Come on, men of God, open your heart to receive what God wants to speak to you today. He's got something for you. Women of God, open your heart, open your spirit to receive what he wants to do. He wants to strengthen you and encourage you. He wants to build you up. He wants to remind you that you're his daughter. He wants to remind you of who you are in Christ. He wants to reveal to you, maybe in a deeper way, all that's possible through the cross and the risen life of Jesus for you to be and for you to become and for you to do in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that today every scheme of the enemy would be exposed and uncovered in the life of every man, woman, and young person anywhere where the enemy has lied to them, Lord, would the truth and the power of your love and your word resound in a way that pushes out the lies of the enemy and allows people to step into a new place of freedom and victory in Jesus. And come on, if you believe it and you'll receive it for yourself, all of God's people said Amen, amen, amen. All right, we're gonna continue this morning in our series, This Means War, and it's all about the reality of a spiritual battle over your life. But here's the foundational truth is that regardless of this reality, you need to understand that the victory that you have in Jesus transcends every war, every battle, in the spiritual, in the natural. You have victory in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Somebody say victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And here's what will determine how much victory you walk in and experience in life. Is are you willing to hear this scripture and begin to walk it out and live it out in your own life? It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your spouse. It's not against a politician or a party. It's not against people. It's not against your boss. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, because of this reality, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, there's there's a day where there's gonna be an attack on your, your mind, your heart, your health, your marriage, your finances. When that day comes... That, when, that you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to continue to stand. That's the heart of God for you. Listen, we have access to victory in Jesus. 
but there's an enemy that tries to keep us, tries to, to, to hold us from experiencing, enjoying, and enforcing that victory. Listen, many people, even good Christian people, are getting beat up in life, getting beat up in marriage because they're not fully aware or equipped to win the spiritual battles. In fact, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, Barna Research a few years ago did a study, and the study was of people who confessed to be evangelical Christians. 60% of that group, people who said, I'm an evangelical Christian, 60% of that group of people said they did not believe that there was a literal devil, but rather he was a symbol of darkness and evil. And I'm just telling you, the devil loves that because you will not stand up or put up a fight against someone that you do not believe is real. The Bible has a lot to say about a real, literal, spiritual being called the devil who is opposing you in your walk of faith. And listen, we, 2 Corinthians 10, verse four through six says this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means of this world, but are mighty in pulling down strongholds. Listen, many people are getting beat up in life because they're, they're fighting a spiritual battle. There's a reality of a spiritual battle. We just read it. And they're trying to win that battle with earthly methods. And it's time for the church to once again be equipped to stand, to be aware of, to walk in the fullness of the victory of God in every area of life. So this is not a devil-exposing message today, because I'm gonna talk about him a little bit. It's not a devil-glorifying message is what I meant to say. It's a devil-exposing message, and there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Listen, good sports teams scout their opponents. They practice their own skills, but then they spend time. My son's a freshman football player over at Free State. Every Saturday morning, even the freshmen of that football team are in the, 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 the locker room watching film of that previous week's game and watching film of next week's opponent. And they're doing it so that they can learn the plans and the devices and, and the, the, the offensive and defensive schemes. And I'm telling you, the Bible is written so that you, as you read it, everything that it has to say about the devil is not to honor or glorify him. It's to expose him and prepare and plan you so that when that day of evil comes, you're able to stand and win the victory. And maybe, in, maybe today as you receive this word and this revelation, you'll begin to recognize some places in your life in your mind, in your heart, in your marriage, in your workplace, where maybe previously you didn't really recognize what was going on and you got caught up or you got swept up or you got pushed back. And today that there's something new that God wants to speak to you, reveal in you or remind you of that will allow you to begin to walk in victory and freedom in Jesus in those moments that previously maybe you didn't. With a deeper revelation of the victory we have in Christ, I promise you, you can begin to overcome. You can begin to become more equipped, positioned to win the spiritual battles over your heart, your mind, your home, your marriage, your children, our schools, our city, our nation. It's time for the light to shine in the dark places. It's time for the people of God to begin to once again walk in the fullness of victory and authority over the devil. Okay, that brings us to Revelation chapter 12. And I know we read this four or five weeks ago, but I cannot not read it again. And again, we're gonna read a lot of scripture today. How many know that's a good thing to do in church? But it's gonna be a lot. We're gonna go to four significant places, but it's all telling the same story. It's all telling the same story. It's all going back to the origins of this spiritual war that we're fighting and winning if we live out our faith in Christ Jesus, if we put on the armor of God. So, so we're gonna read Revelation chapter 12. It's gonna remind us of the origins of this war and then I'm gonna, it's gonna set up. I've gotta revisit it this morning because then I, you'll see here in a moment as, as, I, as we shift to Isaiah and Ezekiel how Isaiah and Ezekiel actually unpack and kind of tell the backstory of this big picture story that we find in Revelation 12. So hang in there. It's a little deep but it's very profound and I'm telling you, if you'll, if you'll see this, if you'll catch this, and if you'll begin to live this out, it's a game changer. It'll shift things over your life, over your heart, over your home, all right? So Revelation chapter 12, reading verse 1 through 17, let's or follow along as I read. It says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, the moon beneath her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And this is speaking of the people, the nation of Israel. 
And it says, reading on, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head, and its tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. Catch that. We'll visit that again later. And he threw them to the earth, and he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. And you remember that literally happened as Jesus was being birthed into the, the earth. The Messiah, the chosen one, J J Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, was being physically brought into the earth through the Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception. You remember that King Herod issued an order and a decree of that day that all the babies under a certain age should be killed. And remember, it caused Mary and Joseph to have to flee the land and go to the other place. And so that's what we're reading about prophetically. It literally came to pass. And reading on, it says, she gave birth to the son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was snatched away from the dragon, caught up to God in his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. Reading on, verse 7. Then there was a war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. The dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, and how many of you know that's happening? I mean, you could see it in increasing ways, people walking in deception. It's not just because they're just, um, you know, can't figure it out. There's a deceiver. There's a deceiver. So re reading on, was he, that, that, that one, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. Why? For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. In other words, he knows that eternally he's been judged, he's been defeated. But now he's, he's on the earth and he's interfering in our lives, trying to hinder us and keep us from experiencing the fullness of God and God's blessing in our life. How many know that's, that the struggle is real? I mean, there really is. There's an enemy that's keeping, trying to keep you from walking in the fullness of God's blessing. Reading on verse 13, when the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. She was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for, protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth, swallowing the river that gushed from the mouth of the dragon. And, and catch this, this is key right here. The dragon was angry at the woman, declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. That's you and me. That's you and me. And, there's, and, it, and it says right here, he's declared war against everyone. He knows he's been defeated, and that's what we're about to get into, why he was cast down. But it says he's declared war. He knows his time is short. And so now all he can do is interfere in the lives of the things that are most precious to God, and that's you. He knows he's defeated, he knows he's judged, he knows what eternity is gonna look like for him, and that's, again, we're about to dig into why that happened and understand that, there's a, that's, that the way that he fell and what he was operating in is now a scheme and a battle that you and I must win. So in what we just read in the Revelation chapter 12, it, it said that great serpent, the dragon, Satan, the devil, and, 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 and I just wanna quickly recap this because it sets up where we're going with another name that the Bible gives to the enemy of your soul. And listen, these are not just, uh, these are not just random names. These, in the Bible, when something has a name, oftentimes there's deep prophetic significance. There's a reason, there's something that God is trying to unpack or, or reveal to us through the names that he gives. And so he gives these names to the enemy of your soul and there's significance behind it. Satan is the Greek word satanus and it means adversary or opponent. How many of you have ever felt opposed in life, opposed in marriage, opposed in your life of faith? It's not just because we just happen to live in this place, it's because there's an enemy that's opposing the will of God in your life. The word devil, the name devil is diablos, it means accuser or slanderer. And the Bible says that there are six things that, that God actually hates, seven that are abomination to him, and one of those things is a false witness who speaks lies or one who sows discord amongst the brethren. 
And so the devil, Diablos, is the accuser and slanderer. He's all, because God is a God of relationship, the devil is always looking to enter into relationships through gossip and through confusion and through misunderstandings and through strife to interrupt or cut off relationships. So, so, so here's the thing, and, and, and by the way, when you're operating in, 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 in gossip or slander, it's more than just bad Christian behavior. God hates it because, catch this, it's operating with the spirit of Diablos. So Satan, the, the opposer, the adversary, the devil, Diablos, the accuser and the slanderer, it's the reason that there's strife in relationships. You gotta recognize your battle is not against your spouse. There's an enemy, there's a devil, there's a Diablos, there's a spirit of Diablos that's coming to try to interfere, to try to divide, to try to break apart the relationships. That, and here's the thing is the places, the relationships where there's the most power or potential within those relationships, those are the ones that he's gonna go after the most. So, so now I wanna dig into another name that the Bible uses to describe the enemy of our soul, and this name is Lucifer, and we find that in Isaiah chapter 14. And again, remember what we read in Revelation chapter 12 where it said that he was thrown down, he was cast down, he saw his tail bring down a third of the stars, and he was cast down, forced out of heaven, he and his angels. We're gonna read a little bit more and a little bit more in depth about how and why that happened, and then how we can come against this spirit that was operating through Lucifer and win this spiritual battle. Okay, so Isaiah 14. And again, this is a little bit deep, but it's profound. Hang in there. Watch what God will speak to you through this today. And it says this, verse 12 of Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said, catch this, watch, watch this pattern here. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Watch, this is God's response. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest pits of the depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, is this the one who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of the prisoners? So there's a spirit that's operating in Lucifer that says, I will exalt myself. I will be like God to myself. Now, so, so what caused Lucifer to be cast down from heaven was pride. And, and pride that caused him to be his own God. And pride that kept him from giving the worship that he was created to give to God unto God. So now Ezekiel chapter 28, we'll see a little bit even more about this. And this, was, this is speaking about Lucifer and how he was created as the, the worshiping, um, covering angel of heaven. So again, it's a little deep, but it's profound. Hang in there with me. So reading in, in verse 12, Ezekiel chapter 28 says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones because your heart was lifted up on account of your beauty." You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So this is talking about Lucifer and it's talking about how he was the covering cherub, the anointed one, and in God's kingdom, this hierarchy of angels, and this is all from the Bible. 
that there were three covering angels, that Gabriel was a messenger. Anytime a messenger was being, was being sent a message to someone, oftentimes you would see that it was Gabriel that was delivering that message. Then Michael is the warring angel. We read about that in Revelation chapter 12, that Michael and his angels uh, award against uh, Lucifer and his angels. And Lucifer was the covering cherub over this, this, this system of heavenly authority of angels that was set up that oversaw the worship of heaven. And he began to exalt himself. God had created him perfect, put him in the, in the garden of Eden, created him with all, the, all this magic. We just read about it. He was beautiful. He was, he was filled with splendor. And yet he began to take and turn the worship that he was created to give to God, and he began to direct it to himself. And now this is the battle that each of us faces. It's who or what will we worship in life? And I'm just telling you, you... You were created to be a worshiper whether you know it or not. And you worship something or someone. And most times what we worship the most, where our worship is directed to the most is the thing that we trust in the most. We say that again. We, 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 you're a worshiper whether you realize it or not you're worshiping something or someone and most times what we worship in this life the most is the thing the person the system the structure the money whatever it is the thing that our trust is in most is the thing that we worship most you see it all the time people whose trust is in money people whose trust is in their bank account people whose trust is in the stock market people who people whose trust is in a Politician, regardless of whether it's left or right, people whose trust is in the government, people who, you see that what, where your trust is placed is the thing or the person that you often worship. If your trust and your significance and your identity is associated with a person, that man, that woman, what, I mean, what you trust in the most is oftentimes what you worship the most. And that's the battle that we have to wage. What, what in this world will we direct our worship towards the most. Listen, if the calling card of Satan is adversity and opposition, if the calling card of Diablos is slander and accusation, the calling card of Lucifer is pride. He said, I will exalt myself. I will be like God. I will, I will, I will, I will. He was all about himself. And now when we walk in the spirit of pride, you got to understand, once again, just like gossip and slander is more than just bad Christian behavior, you're cooperating with the spirit of Diablos, when we operate in pride, it's more than just bad Christian behavior. We're operating in the spirit of Lucifer. And it's why, it's why the Bible says pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It was pride that caused Lucifer to fall from his position and his purpose in God. And here's the thing that's true. Inevitably, it's true. Pride is the root of almost every area of sin in our life. At some place, somehow, some level, this idea of pride, this concept of pride, this idea that God's word says this, I know what God's word says, but I am choosing to live this way. There's a pride that's tied up in there. I mean, I'm just telling you, almost every area of sin and rebellion in our life goes back to pride. And, and, th and I'm, I, this is actually good news when you begin to discover that it's because there's a spirit that's operating that you can begin to realize and recognize and you can begin to put on the armor of God and take a stand against this spirit and win this spiritual battle. Someone say amen. amen. James 4, 6 says, God gives more grace and says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why does God resist pride? Because it's the spirit of Lucifer. And the word resist there is the Greek word antitasso, and it's a military term that means to set oneself in battle formation against. So God resists pride because here's the thing. He knows that when you're operating in pride, he loves you too much to allow you to succeed. And I'm telling you, some, if sometime in your life you, you feel a sense of opposition against something in your life, you owe it to yourself to take a step back. Take a step back and say, what's, what's at work here? 
And is it possible that maybe there's some area of pride in my life where it's actually the Lord himself because of his grace and his mercy and his compassion and his care and his concern for me that he's actually the one that's resisting me because he realizes if I got the promotion, if I got this, if I got that, it would actually lead to my destruction because I would not fully recognize and appreciate that it came from God because there's a spirit of Lucifer that's operating to try to cause us to be like God, to want to exalt ourselves, to want to to want to receive the glory, to want to receive the accolades that we should be deferring to God, that, that, that only God is worthy of deserving, that's the spirit of Lucifer. So here's the thing is, what's the answer? How do we win the battle over the spirit of Lucifer? We come against it with the opposite spirit. The Bible says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. These are two contrasting spirits. We overcome this battle of pride in our life with the opposite spirit. And you might say, well, that's humility, right? And I think that's a good, I think that's right. But how do we walk in humility? I mean, really, what's it look like? How do we posture ourselves in humility? There's a lot of answers that you maybe could give to that. But I want to present one thing that I think is is the nuclear option to walking in humility and winning this spiritual battle because it was the origins of the battle itself. And that is we win the spiritual battle over pride when we worship. When we worship God. When we redirect worship from ourself, from our bank account, from the world, from the systems of the world, from all those things, and we begin to say, I recognize that my life is not my own. I recognize that all these things that the world is putting its trust in, I recognize that all those things will pass away. I recognize that all those things are like shifting, sinking sand. I recognize there's only one source of strength, one source of life, one source of hope, one source of forgiveness, one source of redemption, one source, one person that's gonna lead me into my future in faith, one deliverer that's gonna deliver me from the challenges of my life and his name is Jesus and so my life belongs to him and I live to worship him. I live to worship him. Nothing postures us in humility like worship directed towards God. So here's the thing. Remember, there's an enemy, there's an adversary, there's an opposer and he opposes worship towards God like maybe nothing else because he understands and knows the level of freedom and joy and peace and victory that you will begin to walk in when you, as a man of God, begin to overcome the fear of man, which ultimately is rooted in pride because it's what will people think about me if they see me raise my hand in church? What will people think about me if they see me cry a tear in church? What will people think about me if they see me on my knees before God in church? What will people think about me? The struggle is real. I remember what it was like. When I was a new believer, a young believer in an atmosphere like this where people were lifting their hands and worshiping and singing out loud, and I remember looking around and and, and having the fear of man operate in my heart. What will people think about me? But I'm so grateful that the Lord graced me and was willing to just receive me in the midst of my own fear of man, that I just began to just, come on, just take a step. And maybe some of you today are going to take even a, a bigger step than I took, but I remember that, that moment where I just kind of went like this, and then went like this. Is anyone looking at me? <laughs> and I remember that as I just began to just worship God, how that spirit of pride and that spirit of the fear of man just began to be broken off of me. And then I remember how as I began as a man, as a young man, to begin to just worship God and lift my hands and sing the songs and shout his name and kneel before God or, or, or do my little dance before God. That's about all I do right there. Anything more, people get hurt and people leave the church. <laughs> I remember when I began to step into those things how the fear of man that I once felt, I recognized it was a scheme to keep me from walking in the posture and the position that God intends for me to be the most strong in the spirit, the most strong and prepared to win the battles. I'm telling you, when you, listen, men of God, when you're worshiping God, when you're humbling your heart, when you're recognizing he's God and I'm not, when you are worshiping him and singing unto him and you are recognizing him as the Lord of your life, as your creator and your sustainer, there's not a, you might think that the world looks at you and thinks something about you, but I'm telling you, when God looks at you and in that moment, you're more strong than you've ever been in any other moment of your life. There's a spiritual strength that begins to rise up in you. 
And I'm just telling you, you begin to worship God. And, and worship is not just all about singing songs, but I'm telling you, there's, there's a power, there's a significance. What we do here on Sunday mornings when we play the instruments and we sing the songs and, and, and we lift our hands and we stand before the Lord and we kneel before the Lord and we clap our hands and we shout with shouts of joy, all of that is found in the Bible. The war, in fact, the world didn't create that. They're, they're mimicking what God created. The church and the people of God, we were the ones that were created to worship God. Man, and what, if, what would it look like in your life today if you began to overcome the fear of man? I mean, it's still, I'm still, I mean, I, I, David was criticized in the Bible, David, the psalmist. He was criticized for worshiping and dancing before the Lord, and he said, you, I've just begun. He said, there's even more that's gonna come out of my life towards God. I'm gonna dance, I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna shout. I'm just telling you, you, you don't have to wait till you get your life all together. You don't have to wait till you get spiritually mature to begin to just worship God. I'm telling you, begin to worship God and watch what God begins to do in your heart and your life. Watch how there's a strength that begins to rise up in you spiritually. Watch how the Lord begins to wash over you with his presence and begin to cleanse you of all the stuff that the enemy has tried to attach to your life. Watch how he begins to posture you in a position of spiritual strength. Nothing keeps you postured in humility that God can bless and support like worship directed towards God. But you have to decide. God gave us a free will. No, no one's going to force you to do it. No one can make you do it. You have to decide. The Bible says to put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Here's what I know about any time in the Bible that it talks about putting on a garment is you gotta decide what am I gonna wear today? What am I gonna wear today? You have a choice. You have a choice. I mean, if you're a man and you put on the wrong thing and your wife says, are you going to wear that today? You don't have much of a choice. You know you're about to change. That's... <laughs> men and women pick out their wardrobe totally different, man. <laughs> women are thinking about the weather, the people they're going to encounter, what they're doing at lunch, what they're doing after work. Is the weather going to change in the afternoon? You know, And it's like all that causes me to pick this right here. You know, For a guy, it's just like, is it clean? <laughs> and even then, that really doesn't matter. How many women have ever seen your husband smell something to determine if it's, you could wear it or not? You gotta put on the garment of praise. I, I just think, I mean, I know I just kidded about it just a little bit right there, but is it possible that sometimes God looks down when we're wearing pride and we're wearing self-confidence and we're wearing pain or we're wearing rejection and he looks down and he says, are you gonna wear that? Are you really gonna wear that? Because you could take it off, you could change it. How? With the garment of praise. I'm just telling you, when you begin to worship God, something begins to change and shift over the atmosphere of your life. All right, all right one more place, hang with me. Second Chronicles 20, this is a powerful chapter and it underlines the biblical truth behind that song that we sang earlier about the battle belonging to God and about all we have to do is start singing and worshiping and praising. Watch what God did. This is a powerful story. He'll do the same for you. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And, and I don't want you to catch, the Bible doesn't shy away. There's, there's some real attacks, schemes, enemies that are coming against the people of God. But watch what God does. Watch what God does when the people of God make a good decision. And so let, let's read. It's, it's a little bit long, but hang in there. It's, it's, it's powerful. And then we'll worship together. Second Chronicles 20, it says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Meunites and the Mosquito Bites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it's already at Hazion Tamar. That is in Gedi. I mean, they're, they're, they're nipping at our heels here. And alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. When the enemy is at your door, who or what are you going to turn to? 
uh, the people of God were blessed to have a leader in that day that turned towards God. And he, he resolved to inquire. He, he, he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. I mean, who are who you turning to? Who are you inquiring of? Where's the first place or person you turn to? Is it the coworker? Is it Google? Is it social media? I mean, is it your own preference or opinion? I mean, what, we got to turn to God. And, and it says the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and at Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and, and said, Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, and they've lived in it, have built a sanctuary for your name? saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or a plague of coronavirus or famine, we will stand. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're gonna stand in your presence in this temple that bears your name and cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us, and you will save us. Now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir whose territory you did not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them and seen how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. You gotta deal with the enemy. You, you gotta deal with them. And, and he says, our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Sometimes the best posture you can ever find yourself in is just say, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been trying. I can't do it in my own strength. I mean, it's exactly what they were confessing right there. And can you see the spirit and the atmosphere of humility that resides within this statement? God, you're God. Surely you can deliver us, but we have no power. We can't do it. There's a vast army attacking us. I feel opposition. I feel opposed. And he says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives, their children, their little ones stood there before the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, and a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph, he stood in the assembly, and watch what it says. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah, Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Come on, somebody say, the battle belongs to the Lord. So watch, here's the instructions. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge, the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. But here's what you gotta do. Take your position. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. The people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. And then some Levites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And it says, early in the morning they left for the desert. They set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen, people of, Israel, of Jerusalem, Judah, have faith in the Lord your God. You will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets. You will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men, catch, catch this, men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. The worshipers went before the battle and the war and they went out singing, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And watch this, as they began to sing in praise, as they began to sing and praise, there's a lot of ways to worship God, but in this, I mean, there's something powerful when you begin to sing and praise, when they began to sing and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir. They all got confused. The enemy started fighting themselves, themselves to their own demise and defeat. Watch, it says, after they finished slaughtering the men, they helped to destroy one another. And you know the Bible says that our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And I'm telling you, 
Your battle's not against people. This is Old Testament, but your battle is against the spiritual forces that are coming against your heart, your mind, your marriage, your family, your children, your ability to raise your children, to know God against our community, our city, our nation, our churches. And it says, when the men of Judah came to that place that overlooks, all they saw was dead bodies. No one had escaped. Jumping down, verse 27, it says, Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them great cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets, and the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for as God had given him rest, rest on every side. Would you stand to your feet and let's prepare our hearts to worship the Lord together and understand that when we're worshiping God, we're not just singing songs in church. We are coming against the spirit of Lucifer and we are recognizing, we're defeating, we are winning the spiritual battle over pride in our life because when we sing these songs, we stand and we say, God, you're God, I'm not. There's a battle, there's a war, there are enemies. I don't know what to do. I can't do it in my own strength. But I recognize that there's a spiritual strength that I begin to receive and apprehend and walk in when I position myself in your presence. And I begin to honor, I begin to thank you for the battles you've already won in my life. I begin to recognize you for who you are. Nothing positions you in the humility that, again, God gives grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. He resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you could use some grace in your life today? I mean, really, who needs some grace? The empowerment of God to do and be what he's called you to do and to be. He gives grace to the humble. Nothing positions you to walk in the humility that God can bless and extend grace towards like worshiping Jesus, like worshiping him, like singing the songs of your heart, like raising your hands before him as an act of surrender, as an act of honor, like kneeling before him as an act of just saying, Lord, I, I just humble myself before you. Man, we need a revival and a restoration of worship in the house of God. We need to rediscover our voice. We don't need to just come and hold the coffee in our hands and appreciate this, the lights and the, all the talented people, the gifted ones who are up here. We need to understand it's about so much more than that. need a revival, a restoration of, of men. I mean men who are courageous and strong and mighty in every sense of the words, but also humble in our hearts and realizing that we're nothing without Jesus. We're nothing without him. And we begin to recognize it in a way that causes us to say, oh, man, I, I mean, I no longer care what people think about me. If I sing the song or I raise my hand or I close my eyes or I bow my head or I put my hand on my heart, all those things, just outward signs of just worship to God. Man, Lord, I just, I pray that in this day, in this hour, and I, I, I know I talked about men there a little, I mean, that, that spirit comes against women as well, but it really comes against men. But Father, I just pray all of us, men and women, all, each one, Lord, that you would just break that spirit off of us today. If there's anywhere, any place, any how, any way that we've allowed the fear of man to hinder or limit our, our outward expression of worship to you, would you deliver us from that today? Man, I'm telling you, we worship something. Someone, I mean, today at 325, they're gonna kick that football and, and Tyreek Hill is gonna catch it. He's gonna run across a white stripe carrying a, a pigskin. And we're gonna, I'm telling you, I'm gonna jump off my couch and I'm gonna lift my hands and I'm gonna clap my hands and I'm gonna shout with joy. How dare we give more worship and praise and exaltation to that team and those people than we do to God, to Jesus who came and died and rose again and gave his life and shed his blood. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you not to cheer at the games. I mean, come on, go hog wild. I mean, I mean, go, I mean, have some fun. I'm, I'm not telling you. I'm right there with you. I'm just saying maybe we ought to think about 
is the standard that, I mean, maybe I really am, am I'm, maybe I'm willing to raise my hands and clap and sing and shout towards something, about something, towards someone. Man, today, let's, let's, let's raise the bar for what it looks like for us to give thanks to God for what he's done in our lives and for what he's about to do. Listen, we're gonna worship one more song, but before we do, I wanna give you the opportunity, if you're here today or joining us online and you need Jesus, you need forgiveness, you're far from God, maybe you once knew God, loved God, served God, you were raised in the church, you're what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter, you've, you've just drifted from him. Or maybe you're here today, you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus, put your faith and your trust in him, dedicated your life to live for him and serve him. And if that's you, you're in either camp or anywhere in between, I'm telling you right now is your moment. Right now is your day. You're not here by accident. You're not tuning in online by accident. Today is your day. Today the, the heart of the Father is calling out to you out of that place of isolation and loneliness or sin or depression, calling you back into a place of healing and forgiveness and restoration and a relationship restored and reconciled, a relationship that transcends religion, a, a, a place of knowing God and being known by him, re realizing and discovering what it feels like to be adopted into the family of God, born again as a new creation, a son or a daughter of God. Listen, if that's you today, right now, don't wait, right now. Right now, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Raise your hand high towards God. Say, that's me, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness, I need a new start. I need a, I need a new beginning. That's what the message of the gospel is all about. It's not about beginning to jump through religious hoops. It's about receiving in faith, by faith, the free gift of salvation. Man, it changes your life. It changes your life. If you raised your hand in the room, if you raised your hand online, you can lower your hand. God's, God sees it. This is just an outward sign. It's just a way, it's a small step to just begin to honor and appreciate the inward work that God's doing in your heart. And here's what we're gonna do with everyone that raised their hand. We pray this prayer with you, our whole church family, every week. And we do it for two reasons. One is we wanna just quickly come alongside you and help you realize you're not walking this new life of faith alone. There's a church family, there are brothers and sisters, there are men and women of God who wanna come alongside you and begin to encourage you and equip you and help you to begin to walk in fresh faith towards the purposes of God. And two, we do it is because it reminds us every week that even as we're growing in our faith, everything God could ever do in our life is all built on the foundation of unmerited grace. Every week, man, it's good. I mean, I just, I prayed this prayer and. It just reminds me that I need God as much today as I ever have. Come on, let's pray it together. Pray it with some boldness today. Repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I couldn't pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start and I give you my life, I give you my worship, I give you my trust, and because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly, I'll never be the same, I'll never be the same. Hey, come on, let's worship the Lord together. Hey, I wanna, I want you to look around the room, look around the room. We're a family, we're brothers, we're sisters, we're all one body, one spirit, all called, all saved in the name of Jesus. And can we just agree that there's no judgment in the house of God? And can we just agree that there's room and freedom for us to sing and to worship maybe more loudly than you ever have? Maybe today's the day that you did like I did that one day and you just lift your hand or you bow your head, you open your mouth, you put your hand over your heart, you sit or you kneel in a posture God sees. You can be doing all that stuff and if you're already thinking about the Kansas City Chiefs, you're not really worshiping, you know. But when our hearts are turned towards God and that this, these are outward signs of our heart that's focused on God, appreciating God, honoring God, thanking Him for what He's already done, everything that He's yet to do. He's not finished with you yet. He's working in your life. He's working in your marriage. There, there's, a, there's someone here that feels like, I mean, you're hopeless. There's despair and depression. I'm telling you today, that's a garment that's, that's ill-fitting for you today. 
take it off and replace it today with the garment of praise. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's worship him together today. Let's worship him. Come on, let's sing. Let's sing loud. <laughs> 